2: This is the California Report. Good morning, I'm Lily Jamali. We begin in Sacramento where state lawmakers will reconvene today. They're expected to introduce a pair of bills aimed at extending eviction protections for Californians. And tenants who've been struggling to keep up with rent say it can't come soon enough. KQED's Molly Solomon starts us off this morning.
3: Christina Soriano and Jonas Di Gregorio both lost their jobs during the pandemic. Jonas was a restaurant server, and Christina taught music at an after school program.
4: It's very um stressful, just the unknowing of it.
3: The couple have mostly gotten by from zoom piano lessons Christina has picked up and from dipping into savings
4: our savings we we don't know exactly how how much they will last, so it, it's very uncertain. it's hard to to say.
3: Because of renter protections passed earlier this year in California, Jonas and Christina can't be evicted from their San Francisco studio as long as they keep paying 25 percent of their monthly rent. But the rest of the money will come due eventually, once the statewide protections expire on January 31st. A bill from San Francisco Assembly member David Chu would extend those protections through next year.
0: If tens of thousands of folks are forced from their homes, COVID will be much more likely to spread and have devastating consequences.
3: But lawmakers will have to work quickly. They'll have the month of January to reach an agreement and secure a two-third majority vote. Chu's second bill is a work in progress, but aims to get relief into the hands of renters and landlords who already face mounting debts. California renters could owe $1.7 billion in back rent by the end of this year according to the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia. Brian Augusta is the legislative advocate for the California Rural Legal Assistance Foundation.
4: We have to have a very critical conversation about how we're going to deal with the debt crisis that we're facing as a result of many months of renters being unable to to make the rent in California.
3: But California legislators say the state can't fund rent relief on its own. They're pinning their hopes on the federal government and the possibility of another stimulus package. For The California Report, I'm Molly Solomon.
2: New stay-at-home orders announced last week by Governor Gavin Newsom went into effect overnight. As coronavirus cases surge, much of the state is bracing for a lockdown set to last at least three weeks. The state has set a threshold for lifting it when ICU capacity rebounds back above 15 percent. San Bernardino County now has the second highest number of confirmed coronavirus cases in the state behind L.A., In an effort to lighten the load on emergency services, the county has stopped its usual practice of sending ambulances to all 911 medical calls. KVCR's Benjamin Perper has more.
4: Instead of paramedics answering every emergency call in an ambulance, they'll do more symptom assessing over the phone. And when they do need to go out, they won't take an ambulance to the less urgent cases.
5: So by reducing the number of transports, we are maintaining more ambulances available in the system for those critically ill or injured patients.
4: Eric Sherwin is with the San Bernardino County Fire Department. Before all this was put into place, Sherwin says, ambulances were waiting four to six hours outside hospitals. Shane Reichart with neighboring Riverside County's Emergency Management Department says they will implement a similar policy if ambulance wait times back up as much there.
6: If it was consistent or we
4: saw system-wide impacts where we're seeing it across multiple hospitals, that's where we could step in and start making alternate plans for responses. Riverside County is third in coronavirus cases in the state. For the California Report, I'm Benjamin Perper in San Bernardino.
2: Positive COVID tests and hospitalizations are both at record highs throughout California. Doctors and nurses are bracing for the worst at a moment when they themselves are particularly vulnerable. KQED science reporter
1: Leslie McClurg explains. Only one bed remained when Deontay Taylor left the emergency room at the end of a recent shift. He's a respiratory therapist at a hospital in Oakland. When I left, we had one trauma room that was open to run a trauma, and every other room was full. By the end of this week, he expects the surge to capsize his hospital.
4: I think it's going to be chaotic. Only severe patients will be admitted and probably taken care of just because we can only keep the worst.
1: Taylor says the problem isn't enough beds or even equipment like ventilators.
4: We just don't have the staff to to take on new
1: patients. Taylor says personnel is down across the hospital. Some are home taking care of kids because schools are closed, others are sick themselves. One staff member recently died of COVID. Because hospitals across the country are running short on staff, it's making it harder for California to recruit from that same pool of people. We're tired. Dinora Chinchilla is a pulmonologist specializing in critical care at a hospital in Orange County.
5: You know, there's only so many words you can use to
1: describe
5: the extreme fatigue.
1: Watching the COVID numbers soar in recent weeks fills her with dread and nausea. She says she can't eat.
5: Because this is real. You know, I've had patients who've told me that they don't believe that this exists until they've ended up in the hospital. Why have people lost faith in physicians?
1: It's brutal taking care of so many patients who don't make it. Dr. Paramel Barucha is a pulmonologist at Mercy San Juan Medical Center in Sacramento. He says months of pandemic care leaves many providers traumatized.
7: You know, like it's it's like post-traumatic stress disorder that we all go through. It is a communal sense of grief.
1: He says his ICU is filled with lifeless, sedated bodies kept alive by machines. The floor is strewn with masks and gowns. Nurses race between patients. He likens it to a war zone.
7: War zone because these patients can crash very quickly. Yesterday, I was on call for telemedicine and I had three patients crash within five minutes of each other. At the same time, in another hospital, there were three patients who had cardiac arrest, one after one
1: there's often not time to honor his patient's dying requests. Dr. Barucha remembers an older woman who hadn't seen her estranged son in decades. She finally called him, but the son couldn't visit his mother
7: because of pandemic protocols. This lady could not have the son at the bedside and she treated me as a son and wanted me to hold her hands when she dies. And I could not live up to that.
1: Right at the end, Dr. Barucha was called away to treat someone
7: else. Somewhere in the back of my mind, it is haunting me, and I do not know how long it will haunt me. Yeah.
1: Currently, his hospital hasn't had to turn anyone away, but he says that could change overnight. Dr. Barucha says, please stay home. Stop spreading the virus. That's what could help right now. For the California
2: Report, I'm Leslie McClurg. Wow, thank you to Leslie for bringing us that very moving story.
4: I'm Jason Flom, and you're Maggie Freeling. Hey, Jason. Every day we learn about another person who shouldn't be in prison. 58 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So glad you're home.
1: If you want to be part of this work, listen to Wrongful Conviction. The
4: podcast where we hand the mic to innocent people to hear their stories.
1: How do you send
6: someone innocent to prison?
2: Listen to new episodes of Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling and Jason Flom on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. President-elect Joe Biden has chosen California's Attorney General as his nominee for Secretary of Health and Human Services. Javier Becerra would be the first Latino to serve in that role, a critical one now as the pandemic gets worse. Becerra's team has sued the Trump administration more than 100 times, including legal action aimed at protecting Obamacare. KQED's Scott Schaefer is here with more on how Becerra's cabinet appointment in D.C. could spell even more political change here at
5: home. Hi, Scott. Hey, Lily. So if Javier Becerra is confirmed by the Senate to be Biden's health secretary, it would then fall to Governor Gavin Newsom to name a replacement for attorney general. Now, Newsom is already deciding who to name to fill out the rest of Kamala Harris's U.S. Senate term, and I asked him about that appointment uh, a couple of weeks ago. He said he's getting pressure from all kinds of people on that, and we know that both the Latino and African-American communities are lobbying Newsom to name one of their own to replace Harris— Now, let's say Newsom chooses Secretary of State Alex Padilla for Harris's seat. He would then get to name a new Secretary of State. So, depending on how this all plays out, the governor could get to name three statewide office holders, which is really extraordinary, unprecedented in modern times, I believe. But if Becerra leaves, it gives Newsom a lot more flexibility to satisfy these different constituencies with all those appointments.
2: All right. Thank you, Scott. For more reaction, joining me now is Dr. Ada Stewart. She is the president of the American Academy of Family Physicians. Good morning to you. Good morning. Dr. Stewart, last week, your association was one of several medical groups calling on President-elect Biden to select, quote, qualified physicians to serve in key positions critical to advancing the health of our nation. Mr. Becerra is a lawyer. He's not a physician. So I wonder, what is your reaction to his selection?
6: Yes, so thank you so very much for for asking uh, that particular question. Yes, our uh, number one preference would have been a qualified physician to hold this um, important position uh, within our administration. You know, looking at his history, he is a good choice. He's an experienced legislator and administrative executive who understands the responsibilities of the physician and, and how uh, we need to move forward, especially in this country, facing the healthcare challenges that we're currently facing. Is he the perfect choice? Uh, you know, our perfect choice would have been a physician, uh, but I feel that in our organization feels that he's a good choice. Uh, he's been committed to health and health equity, and those things can't be overlooked. Uh, He believes that people deserve help and health care, which is important, very important in the eyes of uh, our organization and uh, our nation, especially now, especially now as we move forward addressing the issues that we're currently facing uh, with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic.
2: Why would a physician have been your first choice given what is going on in this country right now?
6: It's all about health. It's all about health care and what our nation needs. We are trained to provide evidence-based uh, medicine, and uh, we have knowledge. But you know, are we the only folks that can provide this? Maybe not, but at least if we have someone in this position who can work with us, use our advice to help drive us through the next stage, then um, that is okay. If we cannot have a physician who is qualified for this particular position, which again would be our number one choice, then we need someone who can work well with us, who agrees and believes in the things and the priorities that we have as we move forward. Equity in health, making sure that We uh, no longer see the deaths that we have been seeing uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic. Moving forward, this would be a a good choice. And we feel that he will work well with us and knows uh, how to work well with Congress, uh, which is also important to be able to work with our national leaders to achieve the same things that we all want to achieve. As you look at Javier
2: Becerra's experience, how much does his role in fighting the Trump administration on Obamacare figure into your evaluation of how successful he will be as HHS secretary?
6: Well, we really didn't look at that particular aspect. It was more his experience with health equity and experience with making sure that health care is equitable and that everyone gets the care that they deserve in our nation. And so whether it was against our ACA, we do, as part of our association, agree with the good things that came out of the uh, Affordable Care Act. And, you know, those are some things that we need to keep and that will help. It's a good, I would say, a good side benefit. But that was not first and foremost as far as our thinkings of whether he would be a good candidate or a bad candidate.
2: Dr. Ada Stewart is president of the American Academy of Family Physicians. We thank you for your time this morning. Thank you so very much. And that is the California Report for this Monday, December 7th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks so much for listening. Support for
6: the California Report comes from Personal Capital, offering professional-grade financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary, personalcapital.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at SchmidtFutures.com and Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968, licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at WaterHeatersOnly.com.
0: Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown March 27th through the 31st with two electrifying programs and five works springing from Cartoon, The News, and Human Connection. Dance/Downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with Instant Pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app, Star One Credit Union, in your best interest.
4: I'm Jason Flom, and you're Maggie Freeling. Hey, Jason. Every day we learn about another person who shouldn't be in prison. 58 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So glad you're home.
1: If you want to be part of this work, listen to Wrongful Conviction. The
4: podcast where we hand the mic to innocent people to hear their stories.
6: How do you send someone innocent to prison?
2: Listen to new episodes of Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling and Jason Flom on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.